All right, what's up, everybody? How's everybody doing? Welcome to church today. It's great to have you guys. Um, welcome to City Hope, man. It's so good to have you guys with us today. Uh, today's a big day. Um, if you're um, out of the loop a little bit, today's a big day because we are welcoming to the family the launch of our sixth campus in Midtown. So you guys help me, everybody, every, every campus, help me celebrate Midtown. Today is a big day, and we're so excited that you guys are with us today, Midtown. We're so excited for the launch of this campus and what that means for the community, uh, the neighborhood. We love, we love Midtown so much, and we're so excited that we are there with you. Um, and we're just so excited. Pastor Jordy and Lindsay are just an incredible, incredible campus pastor duo. Um, we're excited about what God's going to do there. So welcome to church. Welcome to City Hope. It's so good to have you guys with us. Um, and you're with us for the kickoff of a brand new series. We're starting a new series today called The Son of Man. Um, and I'm excited about this series. It's going to carry us through Easter. It's about five-week series. Um, so we're just going to kick it off today. We're going to just kind of start this thing off. So Midtown, you're jumping in at a really, really good time as we launch something. Um, so we're just going to kind of explore a little bit today, if you're okay with that, because we're kind of walking through uh, the gospel according to Luke. Uh, the Gospel According to Luke is kind of going to be our, our roadmap through this series as we explore some of the big themes, the big ideas, the big scriptures uh, that are all through the Gospel of Luke. And actually, Luke is actually two different volumes, if, you're, if you don't know that. Uh, he wrote not only the book of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And so they, they're literally volume one and volume two. It's, it's, they are both the longest books in the New Testament, uh, but they also create one big book. And it's pretty, it's pretty amazing the way that that works. So we're going to explore that a little bit over the next few weeks and, um, and just kind of dig into God's word and really explore who is the Son of Man. Who is he? Right? Can we, can we really see him for who he is? Um, because I think that's, that's what the Gospels are all about, all four of them. And, you know, and they're each unique in their own way because they're all written by a different guy, a different writer who has a different um, perspective and lens and way of seeing the world. And, um, and you know this, I, I love movies. And so sometimes I like to look at the, the Gospels as if they're all independent movies, like they're all their own movies. And it kind of helps me understand the difference between all four Gospels. So follow me just for a second. I know you're like, who is this guy? What is happening right now? Listen, the Gospel of Mark, if you read the Gospel of Mark, it's an action movie, okay? Because there's very little dialogue between all the action. It's just action to action to action to action. And this is the way Mark see, thinks. He's, he's literally laying out the life of Jesus through the things that he did. John, on the other hand, is kind of the opposite. John, on the other hand, is an artsy, independent movie. Okay, there's a whole lot of dialogue and just a little bit of action, and then a whole lot of dialogue and a little bit of action, and a whole lot of dialogue and a little bit of action. It's all explaining who Jesus is in this beautiful artistic language. It's just, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And then Matthew, Matthew could be a little bit of a prequel, okay, because what Matthew loves to do is he loves to connect um, Jesus to all the Old Testament prophecies. He loves to show that he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So you can imagine lots of flashbacks, you know, like a biopic, you know, like a biography. He's flashing back to all these things and connecting the dots. It's a prequel. Luke, on the other hand, is different in that Luke is a documentary. Luke is a documentary because Luke is the only disciple or the only gospel writer, excuse me, that did not actually personally walk with Jesus. 
He didn't actually walk with him. He didn't actually know him face to face. He didn't actually experience him in that way. He actually interviewed dozens and dozens and dozens of people that did. And through those interviews, he created the gospel of Luke. So what he did is he investigated, he researched, he asked questions, and not just questions of just anybody, but he actually knew the Hall of Famers of the early church, right? Because the the Gospel of Luke was written 30 years after the resurrection. So everyone that was around during the time of Jesus was still, still around. They were still alive. So he was asking people like not only Paul, who he spent a lot of time with, but people that were there on the day of the crucifixion, there at the resurrection. Like he was asking those people. He was calming for information. And then he assembled his well-researched letter or his well-researched gospel so that you and I would have a well-documented Um, story of the life of Jesus. And it's so important to us to understand. Now, before I kind of get into it a little bit more about Luke, and we're not going to spend a a ton of time on Luke, but I do want to kind of set it up, um, is let me show you right at the very beginning, verses 3 and 4 of Luke 1, kind of why he's doing this in the first place, why he's doing this. He says this, he says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So what he's doing is he's literally taking all of this investigation and this research and he's writing to the most excellent Theophilus who is a high-ranking Roman official. So here's what I want you to get. He's investigating. He's trying to wrap his head around all these things so that you may know the certainty of all the things that you've been taught. A lot of us have been taught a lot of things, Right? As we're in that time, they've heard a lot of stories and a lot of myth and legend and, and this guy from Nazareth and what about this and what about that? And Luke says, hey, listen, here's what I want to do. I'm going to do, I'm going to do all this legwork and all this research and all this investigation and I'm going to create a version of the gospel, the story of Jesus so that you can understand it. And not a Jewish audience, but a Gentile audience. See, Luke himself is a Gentile. He's the only Gentile that was a writer in the New Testament. So Luke, what he's doing is he's a Gentile that's investigating this story of Jesus, and he's writing it to another Gentile. It's important for us to understand that because the majority of us here today are Gentiles, right? We don't have the same Jewish history and all those things that most people in that day would have had. So Luke says, hey, listen, I'm writing to a Roman official. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to write this story in a way that you'll get it. It's all going to make sense. So Gentile to Gentile, let me do all this research and make sure that you understand it. So in Luke's gospel, you don't see quite as much of the Jewish tie-in to the Old Testament and the prophecies. You don't see quite as much. As a matter of fact, Luke records a genealogy just like Matthew does. Except Matthew, remember he's the prequel guy. Matthew goes all the way back to Abraham who was the founder of the Jewish race, right? We know he, he started Judaism. All of it kind of came from Abraham. God said, you're the guy. But Luke, in his genealogy, he goes all the way back to Adam, the founder of the human race. Because what he's doing is he's connecting to a completely different audience. He's connecting to Gentiles. He's connecting to people very much like you and I so that we can understand who this guy from Nazareth was. Now, we know Luke was also a physician. He was a doctor. He was an educated man. As a matter of fact, they say that his Greek in writing his, his books, his Greek was the best Greek out of any of the New Testament books. He was educated. He was smart. You can see through his writings how much he cared for people. There was compassion for people. right? But what he wanted more than anything else was he wanted to connect 
humanity, people all around the world to Jesus Christ. He wanted people that did not grow up in that region and have that understanding to know who this man was. Luke's mission in writing everything that he wrote was so that we could know Jesus Christ, so that we could see Jesus Christ, so that we could know who the Son of Man truly is. And in Luke's gospel, he very much presents Jesus as Jesus for everyone. Everyone. There are no lines of separation. There's no division. Jesus is literally for all of humanity. He is the Son of Man. He is the Son of humanity. He loves everyone. He came for everyone. His purpose is, who is Jesus? And how can you get to know him? How can you see him for who he really is? Because isn't that the greatest question, right? Who is Jesus? Like, who is Jesus? Like, we know if you've been around church or faith for any amount of time, and maybe you haven't, but for those of us that have, we kind of had this idea that, you know, all of Scripture is about Jesus. Jesus is the central character from beginning to end. He's in everything. He's a true and better version of everything. Like, it's all about him, right? We kind of begin to understand that a little bit. That, and Jesus even says this, that you can read and you can study and you can do all of the work and you can look for abundant life. You can read the Bible and you can study the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can, you, can, you can know it backwards and forwards and you can do everything that you can do. But if you miss Jesus Christ, you've missed everything. If you miss him, you've missed everything. This is interesting to me. The reason why I named this series The Son of Man is because when Jesus refers to himself, when you read the Gospels, check this out. When Jesus refers to himself, he almost never refers to himself as Christ or Messiah. It's almost always the Son of Man. Almost always. We could say that it was Jesus' favorite name for himself. The Son of Humanity. The Son of Man. And I started thinking about why is that? Why is it that, that he constantly refers to himself as the Son of Man? Let me show you a couple examples from the Gospel of Luke. Um, here in Luke 12, he, just as Jesus, he says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. It's interesting, too, that he always speaks in the third person. Is that funny to anybody else? Okay, whatever. Uh, the next one, let me just show you a couple real quick. Luke 9, Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lie his head. Uh, and then Luke 6, then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It's constantly, and there's even a couple of times, and this is pretty interesting, there's even a couple of times when someone will call him Christ, and immediately the very next word out of his mouth is, the Son of Man says, the Son of Man does, the Son of Man will. It's almost as if he's hearing them call him one thing, and very subtly and very nuanced and very gentle way of correcting them, to say the son of man. You know, there's a window of time whenever you call somebody by the wrong name. There's a window of time that they have to correct you, right? At some point, it's just super awkward. Uh, my, my daughter's got a little friend, and she went one whole year of their friendship calling her or pronouncing her name drastically wrong. And it was a whole year into their friendship that this sweet little girl finally said, um, this is kind of awkward, but you've been saying my name wrong this entire time, right? Have you ever done that or just called somebody by the wrong name? And eventually, if you're that person, you just let it go because it's like, this is just going to be way too awkward, right? So Jesus, every chance he gets, it's like for some reason he's, he's saying, but, but I'm the son of man. 
Yes, you call me Christ. Yes, you call me Messiah. You call me Lord. You call me Savior. But I'm the Son of Man. And I think it's extremely important why he's doing this. Because we know Jesus doesn't do anything by accident. Right? And so whenever we explore this, it reveals so much about who he is, how he thinks, and how he operates on this earth. So let me show you just a couple of reasons. Uh, the first reason is this, that Jesus prefers the Son of Man. It's this, is that it connects him to his humanity. And this is so important. This is absolutely huge. Because listen, I, know, I don't know if you've done this or not, but genetics right now are all the rage, right? Ancestry and spit into a tube, mail it in, find out you know, all your genetic secrets and, and, and where you're from. Right? Has anybody else done that? Nobody else has. You, you're not curious at all. I have done this. You spit into a tube for like 30 minutes. It's so difficult. You mail it in and you get all this information back and I'm 1% this and I'm 7% that and where we originated from and the health things that may come up at some point. And there's all this genetic stuff that comes up. If Jesus were to do that, his genetic makeup would be very bizarre and unusual. Because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born to a virgin named Mary, right? We talk about it at Christmas. We're also going to talk about it in March, okay? Right? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and he was born to a virgin named Mary. So his genetics were quite different from everyone else. But the important thing for us to understand is that when Jesus walked this earth, he became fully human. He was fully man. And this is not really something that, honestly, we can fully grasp and understand, but it's an important part of our faith. It's an important part of our theology, the, the incarnation, the enfleshing of God. When, when God took human form, what he literally did was he was 100% God and 100% man. We can't wrap our head around that, right? But when he came to this earth, he voluntarily laid his divine nature, his divinity down and became fully human. Now, at any point in time, he could have picked it back up, but he never did. For 33 years walking this planet, he voluntarily laid his divine nature down so that he could be fully human, so that he could live on this earth as you and I live on this earth, even the miracles that he did. You know, we think about the miracles and we think, oh, surely whenever he's raising people from the dead, he picked his divine nature back up and wielded it like a sword to do whatever he needed to do to wow, to wow the crowds. No, never. Never. As a man relying on God and the Holy Spirit, the power of God through the Holy Spirit, he operated in that way. He never picked that thing back up. And it's important that he didn't, that he was a man, that he walked this earth as a human being, fully man, fully God. And it's important that we understand that we've got a Savior, a King, Jesus Christ, that came into this world and got messy with us. That's why he did it. He came and he walked this planet and he dealt with the things that you and I dealt with. He lived the kind of lives that you and I lived. He, he had the awkwardness of middle school just like you and I had. Right? Have you ever thought about Jesus' voice cracking when he hit puberty? It happened. Right? He went through adolescence. He went through awkward stages. He went through interesting encounters. He went through all those things that you remember in your life. Jesus went through those things. Why? Because he's fully human. And it's important that you and I understand that, that we don't have a God that sits on a throne way off in the, in the la-la land that just kind of peers in on us from time to time. No, we have a Savior who came to get messy with us, to walk this earth with us as one of us. 
Hebrews 4 says it this way, and I love this from the Passion Translation. It says, he understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are, and he conquered sin. As a man, he conquered sin. See, you and I, we became a person, a human being at the moment of conception, but not Jesus. He preceded the moment of conception because he was God. He's always existed. Right? He, was, he was there and, and, and it was a part of the creation process. He's going to be there to the very end. There is no beginning. There is no end. He is everything. He preceded the moment of conception. But at that moment, he became flesh and blood, human. John 1 in the message paraphrase, I love this, one of my favorite verses from the message. It says, the word, this is Jesus Christ, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The word, Jesus Christ, that always was and always will be, that spoke the world into existence. He laid every bit of it down. He put on this flesh suit and he came into our neighborhood. He came into our story. It's like, it's like the guy that wrote the whole novel, that put the whole thing together, that wrote everything. The author of the story at some point said, I'm going to write me into this action and into this drama. And that's what he did. He wrote himself into it. And this is why the Son of Man is important, because it connects him to his humanity. He's constantly telling people, but I'm fully human. I'm in this with you. We are in this thing together. I'm walking on this planet with you. I'm in the mess of it. I'm in the stuff with you because I'm the Son of Man. The second reason why I believe he constantly refers to himself as the Son of Man is because it connects him to his purpose. It connects him to his purpose. I don't know if you know this or not, but Christ is not his last name. It wasn't Mary and Joseph Christ. <laughs> I, just making sure everybody's clear on that. Christ is actually a title. Okay, Christ and Messiah, these words, we use them interchangeably. We know them. Um, they, they are actually a title. They're not part of his name. They're a title. Okay, and there's a reason I believe that Jesus constantly kind of sidestepped that title and used the title or the description, the Son of Man. Okay, because both of those two words, Christ and Messiah, just a real quick little nerd out on you for a second. Both of those two words come from the same Hebrew word that means Messiah. So even the word Christ is a Greek translation of a Hebrew word that means Messiah. They're the same word. Okay, so the Messiah, the, the Hebrew word Messiah, I know, stick with me for a second. <laughs> the Hebrew word Messiah simply means the one that had oil poured on him. We could say the oiled up one. Okay, the greasy one. Okay, I'm just making sure you're listening. Okay, we normally would say the anointed one, right? The anointed one is the one that had the blessings of God poured out on them, the abundance of God, the goodness of God. And this title was not for Jesus alone. See, in our Gentile context, we don't always completely understand that. The word Messiah was also a word that was used for high priests and kings. All the way through the story, you see, every high priest and every king was anointed as a Messiah. But there's all these promises that the Messiah will one day come. But here they are, they're throwing this word Christ and Messiah around in a time where they were under Roman rule. Okay, they're under Roman rule. And so the high priest is kind of acting in a functional role as the king as well. He has no real power. But the people see him that way. So here's this guy, the high priest, that now in our world we kind of look at as the bad guy, 
right? The Pharisee, the, the, this, this guy that was kind of coming against Jesus that ultimately killed Jesus. To us, it's a bad guy, but in that day, he was a Messiah. He was a Messiah. So every single time somebody's saying, ooh, the Messiah, Jesus is going, let me, let me help you with this. Let me bring some more clarity to this. Because eh, I am the Messiah, but I don't want you to get confused for me for all these other messiahs. Right? Yes, I'm going to be king, but if you're just comparing me to King David, eh, there's something more. There's something else. Because the Son of Man is a very clear description that comes from an, from an ancient story from the, from the Hebrew Bible that everyone in that day and time would have understood. Again, we don't. But they would have understood this. They would have gotten this because it came from a very, very famous story. Uh, let me explain it to you this way. It's kind of a reference, and I'll explain it to you this way. Um, from time to time, when um, my wife and I, you know, something frustrates me or whatever, she, we're always late everywhere we go. And I'll just say, um, it's not my fault. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Um, just to even say that, just whew, such, such, such relief. Okay, so, but in those moments when I'm frustrated that we're not ready to walk out the door yet, I will say this, you're killing me, Smalls. Anybody know where that's from? The Sandlot. I heard a couple. Good job, good job. Okay, so the moment I throw a phrase, you're not, you don't all know that one, right? Because you haven't all seen the movie, right? But a lot of you knew it because a lot of you have seen the movie. What if I were to say this to someone, may the force be with you? Right? All of a sudden, those of you that have seen the movie that are clued in, that get it, you're like, oh, we're talking Star Wars now. Okay, I get it. Okay, go ahead and make my day. I'm, I'm testing to see how old you guys are. That's what we're doing here, just so you know, right? right we're going to need a bigger boat. Right? Hasta la vista, baby. Right? Terminator, come on, guys. You with me? Okay, right? But here's what happens. The moment I slip a quote like that into a conversation... If you're clued in to the movie and you've seen the movie, what do you do? Your mind immediately jumps to the middle of that movie and you go, oh, I see what you did there. You brought the sandlot into it. Oh, that's funny. That's good. Look at you. Right? It's, it's like immediately you're tied into it. And every single time Jesus says the son of man, what he's doing is he's recalling, he's pulling them back to a familiar story that every Jewish kid would have heard. A story, this epic story from Daniel 7. This story of this dream, and if you know anything about Daniel, he's got lots of crazy dreams and prophetic dreams, and God speaks to him through dreams. And immediately as you hear this very specific title, description, the Son of Man, you'd be drawn back to Daniel 7. Now let me tell you a little bit about Daniel 7 because it gets wacky. Wacky. Okay, Daniel is in captivity. Babylonian captivity has a dream. And in his dream, he sees four beasts come up from the earth and take dominion over everyone, over every human being. And these beasts are from the earth. They're human kingdoms, empires that are, that are taking dominion and oppressing the world around. Every beast gets bigger and uglier and nastier until you get to the last beast. And then something incredible happens. Daniel looks up to the sky and he sees the Ancient of Days. He sees God on a throne. And actually, the throne has wheels. It's a mobile throne. It actually says it. It's kind of crazy. But he begins to roll in clouds and fire. And his hair is white. We'll read it in a second. It gets this crazy dream of God showing up. He's in the heavens. And he's looking down on all these beasts that are trying to take control of the world. 
And then something incredible happens. But look at this. We'll read it first in uh, Daniel 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place. Now listen. This is plural for a reason. Because when Daniel looked up, he didn't just see one throne, the mobile throne that God was on. He saw a second throne, an empty throne. Okay? It says this. They were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. See, it had wheels. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so look, so Daniel, seeing all the torment and all the oppression and all this dominion and all this crazy kingdoms and empires and people trying to take control of people and destroying the world that God created, he looks up and he sees God and an empty throne next to him. And then verse 13, this is what happens. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. So I looked before me on earth, I looked out and before me, I saw the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He was lifted. He was elevated. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. All of a sudden, every king on this planet worshipped the king, the king of kings. Right? All of a sudden, the Son of Man was elevated to a place unlike any other king or human had ever been elevated before. Because the story of God would be that God intended to rule all of this with humanity. That's why there's an empty throne. That's why there's thrones. There's God's throne, and then there's the human's throne. Of course, because of the fall of mankind, that throne sat empty. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, I'm not just the guy that sits on that little puny throne over there. I'm not just the guy that, that makes those decisions over there. I'm not just the guy that's one day going to rule this little neck of the woods. He's saying, no, no, listen, let me elevate your perspective of who I am because I am the son of man. I'm the guy that's going to take that throne. I'm the guy that's going to right all the wrong of humanity. I'm the reset of humanity. He said, I'm the new human. I'm the image of God. I'm going to reset this whole thing. And at the end of it all, all the world will bow and worship me. That's who Jesus says he is. And so he's constantly, through the Gospels, he's constantly saying, I, I, I know you think you know who I am, but it's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. You've got an idea of who I am, but it's actually more than that. Jesus is constantly telling us who he is in this subtle Jesus kind of way. Now, for us today, here's why this matters so much. Because what matters more than anything else, the most important question I believe that Jesus himself ever asked was this question in Luke 9. Go to this question right here. Here it comes. It's coming. I believe it. Here it is right here. Luke 9. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Right, we know he's asking the disciples. And in this very story, he said, Peter says, you're the Messiah. And immediately Jesus says, the son of man. Dot, 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 dot. He's elevating the perspective. But who do you say that he is? Because your view of who you say Jesus is, is the most important thing about you. What you say about him is the most important thing about you. What you believe about him is the most important thing about you. And so many of us, see, Jesus believed that he was the son of man. But so often we believe Jesus is who we want Jesus to be. We see him as who we want to see him as. 
We don't see him in this elevated form because what Jesus is constantly doing is he's bringing clarity and he's raising the stakes and he's raising the way that the world sees him. And he's saying, no, 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 it's all bigger than what you think. There's more to it than what you think. I want you to see me for who I truly am. Not just who you think I am. One of my favorite stories um, and it actually it's only recorded in uh, the book of Luke, is the, the story at the very end, the last chapter, is the story of the road to Emmaus. Um, it's an incredible, incredible story, and, and I'll kind of wrap up with it because I think it's important for us as we kick this series off. But it's on Easter Sunday. It's Easter Sunday, and all the disciples, not just the 12, but all the disciples are together, and they're they're just, they're wondering, they're scared, they don't know what's going on, what's happening. And some of the ladies went to the tomb and they went to, to, to put spices on the body and they went to just go and make it all smell good. They get there and he's gone. The tomb is empty. They go running back to tell all these disciples what's happened. He's not there. They all look at them like, y'all straight crazy. What are you talking about? They think they're talking nonsense except Peter. Peter jumps up and he runs toward the tomb to see if it's really empty. Then immediately Luke picks up the story of these two disciples that walked out of that room after hearing that he's alive. They walked out of that room and they started walking home to Emmaus. Heads hung low, defeated, kicking a can. Not literally, right? Bummed. They just start walking home. Peter's running toward the tomb, and these two guys say, oh, well, let's just go home. And they start walking home, and then the craziest thing happens. Jesus himself shows up. He becomes a traveler with them, and they don't recognize him. They know he's a Jewish guy. They, they, they understand that he's from the region. For whatever reason, they just can't see that he is actually Jesus. So Jesus just starts walking with them. And he asked them, as he's like, why in the world are you so bummed? Like, what's wrong? Why are you kicking a can? Like, what is going on? And this is how their story unfolds or how this conversation unfolds. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short, sadness written all across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. Isn't that funny? They don't recognize him. And he's just like, he's just playing along. He's just pulling it out of them. And this is what they say. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. Listen, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Do you see what's happening here? To them, their scope of who Jesus was is just that this guy's going to show up and, and he's going to push Rome back. That's it. He's going to show up and he's going he's to be the rebellion. He's going to step up and he's going to be the guy that's going to push Rome back and he's going to bring freedom to us. That's the guy. He's going to start this rebellion and everything's going to change. And then he went off and died. So I guess not. We thought he was the guy, but he's not. Their view of Jesus was limited. All they saw was what they wanted to see, what they needed to see, what they thought their world in that moment in time so desperately needed. Their view of him was so tiny, 
So Jesus launches into a story. He starts telling them all these Old Testament prophecies and how he's fulfilling them and the completion of them. And he literally walks them through the entire Old Testament and who he is. They still don't see him. They still don't realize who he is. He's just some guy that's really smart all of a sudden. He's just sharing all this information. They sit down for lunch. And over lunch, Jesus breaks the bread. And immediately they see him. And immediately they realize who it is that's sitting in front of them. All of a sudden, when it clicks in their heart that he's bigger than just this one rebellion, he's bigger than just this one thing, that he's bigger than that, and it's through his brokenness that we can have life, all of a sudden their eyes are open. Now, I can't help but wonder how many of us have walked with Jesus for years and years and years, and we still don't see him. How many of us, I mean, for them, it was three years. Three years they walked with him. They saw the miracles. They experienced who he was, but yet they still did not really see him. And every chance Jesus got, he's trying to expand the way we see him. I'm the son of man. I'm bigger than this little thing. I'm bigger than King David. I'm bigger than that high priest. I'm bigger than these things that you think. I'm bigger than Rome and the rebellion. I know you want me to save the day, but it's bigger than all of that. It's so much bigger than that. And I wonder how many of us have spent years following Jesus, but we're still blinded to him. But we really don't see the fullness of who he is. Our eyes haven't been cleared because what Jesus does not want you to think, and what I think he is adamantly trying to bring clarity to, is that he's not just a good person. Right? He's not a great way of life. He's not a, a set of teachings and rules, and if you live this way, then this will happen. He's, he's more than that. He's not just a teacher or a prophet. He's not, he's not any of that. He's so much more than that, yet most of us live as if that's all there is to him. And our faith walk, our life with Jesus is limited by the way that we see. You know, we, we recently started doing some work in the Middle East, and uh, I, I can't wait to share more and more of this with you. But one of the things that I've heard, we're, we're a part of a church planning movement. We're planting churches in Afghanistan and Iraq. We, City Hope Church, are planting churches in, our, in Iraq and Afghanistan. But here's what I hear from that part of the world that's amazing. Millions of people, millions of Muslims coming to know Jesus right now. Here's how it happens. They know who Jesus Christ is. In the, in the faith, in the Muslim faith, he's a prophet. They know about Jesus. They know about the miracles. They know who Jesus is. But what immediately changes their heart is in a dream or a vision, they see Jesus. They see the man in white. That's what they call him, the man in white. And in that moment, everything changes. They go from being a radical Muslim to being a radical Christ follower in a second. They realize that death is possible. They realize my family's going to cut me off. They realize I may have to move to a different city or village. Like they realize all that stuff, but because they see him in all of his glory and who he really is, all of a sudden anything is possible. I will go to the grave. I will fight. I will be radical. I will do everything that I can do because I saw Jesus. And I wonder how many of us have actually seen Jesus. Not just live according to his rules. And not just live according to a grandmother's faith, a hand-me-down vision of who he is, but how many of us are actually living and breathing because we've actually laid eyes on him? We've seen him. What I want you to hear me say is no matter where you are in your journey, there's more of Jesus for you to see. There's more of Jesus for you to see. It's not done. This isn't it. 
It's not just come to church on Sundays and that's it. That's what all this is about. No, no, it's a pursuit every single day. And I think it's some of the reason why Luke is even, even puts this story in there because this may even be Luke's journey. A guy that was a Gentile that didn't walk personally with Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, all of this is Luke saying, I want to see Jesus. I want to walk through these experiences of other people's lives. And I want to do everything I can do to have my, my perspective opened up so that I can truly see Jesus. Not the Jesus that I want to see. Not the Jesus that the people around me see. Not the Jesus that I've heard preached or I've heard taught or I've read a book about. I don't, I'm not okay with that Jesus. I want to see the Son of Man. I want to see him in his glory. I want to see him and in, 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 in how he's going to impact my life in a real way, right? Because the way we view Jesus is the most important thing about us. Why? Because it shapes your worldview and it ultimately decides how much of your world he can shape. How much of your life he can shape. If you keep him small and tiny and your view of him is just this neat little cute package, then you'll never experience the fullness of Jesus. There's so much more for every single one of us. There's so much more of him that he wants to show you and reveal to you. And just maybe that's Luke's purpose. It's just walking through this. And I'm hoping the next few weeks that's what we're going to do. We're just going to pull back layer after layer after layer. And let's talk about the Son of Man. Because he is the most important the most important character, the most important person, the most important. The whole thing is wrapped around him. And if we miss him, we've missed everything. Lord, may we see all of him. May we see all of him. Jesus, right now, open our eyes to see you in your fullness. God, may every day be a day that we just pull back another layer and we experience another layer of you and how big you are and how full you are and how, and how you want to impact our life and our story. Jesus, we love you. If everyone right now would just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a second. I can't help but ask. I know there are people here today that don't know Jesus. And maybe you did as a kid or maybe you, maybe you had some version of a faith down the road, down the past a little bit. But maybe today you're like, I want to see this man. I want to experience this man that, that lived on this earth and dealt with the things I've dealt with that is here to bring life to me. And maybe that's you today. And if it, if, if it is... And you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and invite him into your story. I just simply ask you to raise your hand right now. Every campus right now, if that's you and you say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to invite him into my story. I see several hands right now. Go ahead and raise them up high. Here's what we do. We're going to pray this prayer together. If that's you and you want to invite him into your story, pray this prayer out loud. Church family, let's all pray it together. But pray, Jesus, I love you. And I want to know you. I want to see you. I give you my life today. I give you all of me, all of my preconceived ideas, all of my wants, my desires, and my sin. I surrender it to you. Come into my life and change me forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church family, can we celebrate that? There were hands all over the place. Absolutely amazing. Thank you, guys.